0: Welcome to Funny Women Behind the Scenes, a sequent covered podcast hosted by international showgirl and comedian Ivy Page. We'll be exploring what it's really like to work in the entertainment industry, from live comedy and cabaret to television and film. Brought to you by Funny Women, the leading community for female comedy. So let's get on with the show and welcome your host, Ivy Page. Hello and welcome. To the real life
1: work of art or piece of work, award deserving, flame haired, titan of tees. Yes, it's me, Ivy Page. It's time to take a seat on my chaise lounge in my personal burlesque boudoir as we break the fourth wall. Draw back the velvet curtains and reveal what really happens. Behind the Scenes I cannot tell you how honoured and excited I am about my guest today. They are an incredible artist uh, being commissioned by the Tate Modern, the, the Tate Britain, the v the National Theatre, the Royal Shakespeare Company, the Barbican, the British Library, the South Bank Centre, the Guggenheim in New York City, amongst many others. Yes, it is the legendary writer and performer, Chris Green hello and welcome Chris thank
2: you that's so sweet of you I sound all grown up don't I when you put it like that but thanks
1: I know Um, okay I'm gonna start off with a question that I always ask everybody on the show it's a a really important question do you keep your chocolate in the fridge or in the cupboard
2: (laughs) Uh, cupboard
1: what what kind of chocolate do
2: you keep in the cupboard um I'm I'm trying to be vegan so um I'm trying to you know keep my vegan chocolate in the cupboard (laughs) um that's my quick answer um yeah dark you know possible yeah that's what I'm trying that's what I that's what I'm going for
1: uh so welcome to behind the scenes uh, i can't wait to for to, for the everybody to listen to all the amazing things that you have done in your career i wanted to ask you first of all um a little bit about the project that you've been doing recently art bank
2: oh great okay yeah that's really new um and that's it's really straightforward actually i haven't talked m- much about it because we're 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 just at the stage of um um doing some research and development on it and then because it's it's an emergency um response to what's going on at the moment and all year oh well that's not quite true since the early summer uh, but that mm-hmm. feels like at least a year doesn't it it does it? i have been um volunteering at my local food bank and um and then now I'm one of the managers and i just had this idea a few weeks ago that this is obviously a very straightforward um, process. Um, I, I mean, let's not get into the politics of a, of a completely unnecessary um, process, but anyway, um, it, it is necessary as we know, but it shouldn't be needed, that's what I mean. Um, but it's very straightforward. It's an emergency delivery system for food, um, for people who, who need it. And right now, I think we need an emergency delivery system for, for art. And so it's, so art bank is really simple. It's um, a holding form so that people um, anywhere soon from the beginning of the year, once I've worked out how I think it should work, people can then just start one up and then, and then artists can just deliver some art to people who come and get it. So it's just very, very open and very simple. Uh, But instead of leaving with a bag of food, you, you, you have, some live experiences and you have some sort of tangible pieces of work like a poem or, or, or a reproduction of an original picture
1: so it could be any any art form any kind of creative idea or Absolutely. product
2: some jokes very all very quick all very all very um, spontaneous and all very um uh, socially distanced of course um but yeah you would have you know you'd have some jokes you'd have a song you'd have a bit of a monologue you'd have some interactive you know, we have some play. Goodness knows, mm. a good thing to have. Um, you can have a bit of burlesque, why not? Um, and uh, yeah, a poem and a song, and then you leave sort of full of art. And I think it is, you know, food's the food's the most essential, and we need to make sure that people aren't going hungry, our neighbours aren't going hungry. But but after that, I think as artists, we want to give people mm. access to art, and so that's that's what the idea is.
1: Particularly in you know in with what's happening right now and the people not being able to have access to art other than online.
2: Well, I think the big thing that we're learning right now um, is that, that local is everything. And that um, we, in the old days, a mark of success was um, as you referred to in my introduction, you know, you're good at this. Why not go to Australia to do it? You're good at this. Why don't you go to America to do it? Um, well, if I'm good at it, why don't I just do it for my local community? You know, um, why don't we ask local artists to get together and do things? I think local will be a massive, massive thing for all of us in the, in, in the coming future, partly for the, for the environment and, um, and, and partly and most immediately because of the, the pandemic. So yeah.
1: Tell everybody more about what you do.
2: So, um, I, well, I used to work in telly. I was a music researcher um, on trashy entertainment shows. And I think that gave me the best grounding of all time because it's, it, it gradually dawned on me in my early 20s um, that actually nobody knew what they were doing. And until that point, I'd thought that, that grown ups had a plan and that people that were successful had plans. And I had, you know, that that everyone else had, I, I don't know, a structure that they they knew the great mystery that I hadn't quite worked out. And then working in right at the forefront of live telly with, in all the craziness of it, I suddenly, I, well, I gradually realized, no one had a plan, they were all just making it up. <laughs> Best liberation um, for becoming a performer. So I was sort of age 26, 27, I started uh, performing and making my own things and I was like great I can just make stuff up and that's enough wow okay so um I've always done a sort of uh, a variety of um entertainment and um but with a sort of live art twist so the first thing I did was full-on live art and then I realized actually entertainment is my thing however serious my intention is it's always got to have entertainment um in it so there's a whole range of things I've done but um, I was part of Ducky at the beginning, um, uh, setting that up or being part of the original gang. And then um, I really put most of my effort into my comedy characters. The, the first one um, and the most successful probably was Tina C, who's a country music singer, who's a pretty high status American country music singer. And then a few years after that, Ida Barr came along. And really, those two have been the sort of um, foundation of my of my um comedy and, and cabaret work and then um, um probably 15 years ago or something like that i really started putting a lot of energy into the experiential theater entertainment experiential theater
1: i have a question about ida bar mm. how is she doing during the pandemic how yeah. she had to shield
2: well we've um really we've all had to work hard to put a ring of protection around her um Ida is um well funnily I've, there's, I've i've only heard from Ida a little bit a couple of times in during lockdown so um early summer she she um was spitting some bars um on a re remix of uh, savage um with with Megan the Stallion and um and, Beyonce. and so um, Ida came in on that talking about how she thought she might have had covid because all she was interested in eating was pickles um, and uh, the, the government food box was too bland and she was sick of eating tomato soup and white sliced bread um, and would sneak out under the cover of darkness, breaking lockdown to score some um, sauerkraut. Um, so there was that. And then there was another one in which she was uh, spitting some bars about, um, um, about the COVID mutual support group and the woman who runs it, who she doesn't get on with. Um, so it was a reworking of wheel meat again which is basically um, a thinly veiled threat saying, um, when lockdown's over, we'll meet again, um, which is not what um, Dame Vera Lynn would have wanted, but it is what Ida did. Um, so Ida's doing all right, yeah. She's survived more than this. She'll be fine. She's tough. Yeah, it's tough. it's tough. Well, to be honest, darling, I haven't really been out since the late eighties, you You'll see, not a lot. Um, so it don't make a great deal of difference if I, if I speak the truth.
1: I'm honoured. I'm honoured that you've given me a, a moment on the podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, this- you know I, if I'm really, really honest, and if people, you know, people listening to this would probably think, you know, I'm such a dedicated performer. I have such a an odd relationship with performing at the moment. I, you know, I love my characters. I'm not doing Tina uh, at the moment. Tina's not not functioning. I love Ida. Uh, I love kind of. Coming out with an occasional song. When people say, "Oh, can we do a thing?" You know, can we do Ida Ida show on Zoom or you know, mm. in the summer? Can you we come and do it? Can you stand in a car park and perform? I'm like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> but you know, slipping in a quick bit of you know Ida chatting, that's
1: fine.
0: You're listening to Funny Women Behind the Scenes, all the backstage gossip and more.
1: When you've created a character. And then suddenly the character becomes big, a part of your life. I get that because during during lockdown, I, it was the first time since I've done this probably in about 12 years that I had not been Ivy Page for a significant period of time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I started thinking, what if I can't be her anymore? Yeah, yeah.
2: I totally get that. I remember a long, a long time ago when I was doing Tina... A lot like all all the time you know sort of always doing sort of four or five gigs a week and i can't remember what happened but for some reason I, i i i wouldn't have gone on holiday that's a ridiculous idea but for some reason i think i must have done a play or something but i didn't do tina for about three weeks and i remember thinking i can't do it now what do i can't remember it and that seems so crazy to me now that um because it's so much part of me tina even even though i'm not keep uh, doing her at all but yeah it it i don't know it's a funny thing isn't it that we we sort of think that they might leave us and maybe they will and that's what's going on with tina for me i think tina sort of has left me for a while
1: i had thoughts about you know would i kill off ivy page Mm. and then make a giant you know like a kill-off tour. <laughs>
0: like...
2: <laughs> that's really, really good.
1: But then I'd come back.
2: Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, of course. But that's what they all do. How many, you know, uh, farewell tours did the Judds have? Millions. Um, I wanted to have a Tina show where Tina uh, was franchised and, um, and basically sold the rights to her act to different <laughs> territories. So you could buy sort of Australia and New Zealand. That would be expensive. Well... But you could probably have the Middle East for not much because <laughs> there wasn't much cool
1: that could be a really good money making uh, scheme during this time though couldn't it well right now
2: probably yeah. well, right now you couldn't really franchise by geographical region because you know they'd say just do it on zoom
1: I've got a question for you because I didn't know this until I did some further research um you have published a book haven't you
2: <laughs> I have published a book um obviously I've written a uh, a book about the history of hypnosis it's what everyone would expect um yeah I um I'm delighted by that and I um was interested in hypnosis um because I had a bird phobia and so I sort of overreacted and became a clinical hypnotherapist got the qualification this is what I'm like um so I sort of like did commitment <laughs> well overreact I think probably is another way of looking at it. um yeah so I got the qualifications to do that and then uh, delightfully, I was offered artist in residence at the British Library a while ago now, 2012, I think. And they said, "What would you like to spend a year kind of investigating?" And I said, "Hypnosis," which felt great. And um, and and then they offered me um, a a book deal and said they'd love to publish a book about it. So yeah, it's it's uh, I really really like that book, and it's it's you know it's never going to set the it's never going to be troubling the bestseller lists, but it's so nice because people are studying to be hypnotherapists all the time and it's on quite a lot of reading lists. And so I can always tell when there's a new influx of, of sort of new hypnotists in Nebraska or something because I'll suddenly get lots of messages from there going, hey, your book's great. And I'm like, wow, what's just happened over there? You know, no.
1: So can you actually hypnotise people? Sure,
2: absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely, totally. Um, and I, I... I loved investigating it because it's, um, once you really get into it, it of course it's performance, and, but it's also just a state of mind and it's encouraging people to go to a certain state of mind. So it's, it's really connected to, to, to entertainment and, and performance. So, yeah, it's not the great mystery that everybody thinks it is. But that's what, so my book was about the science and the showbiz and the way the two interact, in, uh, 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 intersect, is is basically, you know, the showbiz side has always sort of confused the science, and the science has always confused the showbiz. I just love that kind of ongoing dialogue.
1: Do you think we um, like hypnotize people when we're performing on stage? Yeah, absolutely,
2: it does. Um, and I think what's what I mean by that answer is that hypnotism is really just an invitation to play in a certain way. So it's it's saying. Um, hey, how would it be if you weren't afraid of dogs? And and that and the and the patient in in a hypnotherapy um, sense, the patient goes, oh well, that would feel good, and this it would feel like this, 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 and all we're doing is like, hey, how would it feel if you thought this was really funny? How would it be if you believed that this? Uh, This person is 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 a a sort of hundred year old rapper from the East End, and everyone goes, "Oh yeah, I I can sort of go with that. Yeah, all right, let's go with it." And so it's just a sort of how would it be, and 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 they're both the same things, and theatre's the same, and at the heart, theatre should be that. And if we make it too complicated or too serious, then we've lost sight of it because it's basically just saying, "Hey, let's just pretend that these two people are Romeo and Juliet, and they're in love. Hooray!" Do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Any more complicated than that?
0: this is funny women behind the scenes if you want to know more about us visit www.funnywomen.com
1: one of the things i really wanted to ask you is you've done such a plethora of projects over the years so in terms of your career how well, how do you plan
2: that? <laughs> uh, it's a very good question, and of course, I'm going to say the truth, which is that I didn't, I haven't, um, and I, I'm very. Um, I think it's always important to say that you feel lucky because I do feel really lucky. Um, and the main thing I've done, the way I've planned it, is to follow my follow my instincts and do so. The so sometimes people say, "Oh, I can't I don't really understand your your work. It's like so wide-ranging and um I've definitely had that from various sorts of professionals over the over the years, producers and things and um and I and I said, "Well, it's quite straightforward. I mean, it's quite an arrogant answer, but it's quite a straightforward answer. It's like all the things that are in, that I find interesting. So if I become interested in hypnosis, I probably will will spend 5 years really, really studying it and then making a show and writing a book about it. And people might go, wow, that's a bit of a tangent from you know, from country music. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I only did that because I really liked country music. I didn't know anything about mm-hmm. it. Started listening to country music when I went to Nashville and then was like, oh, great, I'll invent a country music singer. you know. And that sounds like being a bit sort of blowing in the wind. You could say it's, it, it is that, or you could say that I, w- I think that it's the only way I can really keep Um, um, energy and focus is to if I'm really passionate about it if it really intrigues me Um, and I think that that is really lucky I think that's what an artist should do and I think if you're asking people to be entertained by you then you have to find it entertaining yourself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and we've all, you know, I've been guilty of it, I know. Um, and we've all seen performers who are literally just going through the motions of doing their turn because that's what they do and that's how they make money. And I understand that. And that's why I started by saying, I feel really lucky. Um, and now I can do what, what makes me interested. What, what what keeps me interested and that's been the case for a long time I think not working I didn't work for over a year after Ben died and I suddenly realised actually I didn't need to earn that much money I I could do the things that um, really really interested me and uh, and that that would be entertaining for people
1: it's often a question isn't it when you're a gigging performer and you're, you're gigging for the money because we all got to pay our bills that you can be at at points in your career where you just need to pay the bills, but you're getting performing work and that's paying the bills, but perhaps it's not ticking those artistic boxes.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, and I think there's in a, a, if you're lucky enough to have a long career, then there will be different phases. And um, it's about um, moving through those phases elegantly and realising, oh, actually your motivation can be different now. And I did work incredibly hard there was a period mainly when i was doing tina um, and i was traveling all the time and i was earning really really good money and you know and so i'm really grateful for that and that's what you know that i worked really hard and i you know bought a place for us to live and that's you know that's what that's what you do and then i sort of realized oh i'm no longer in that in that um, in that in that zone and i feel grateful that i was able to do that gear shift as, as as well but my heart goes out to people that are literally surviving on on the money that they make from 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 doing gigs because that's incredibly hard and I remember that phase that was a big part of my life for a long time and I think I stayed in that zone for a bit longer than I needed to because I was like sure I'll do that I could do that yeah I'll do that gig yeah what what I don't want to go but I'll do it what crucial yeah being there <laughs> yeah why not I think I'll go mad but I'll do it anyway oh I have gone mad oh well at least I've got paid so yeah
1: you know when they'll send you the the brief for the gig and it's a skill that you've never done or uh, you know songs that you would never love they're not on your list they're probably not in your range but you're like yep I can do those
2: yeah which is a good (laughs) instance a good good way to go at life (laughs) but um, yeah I remember you know those times when I would literally be driving home going well at least I earned this much you know Mm. and if it literally is just about the money then that's a bit sad (laughs)
1: So you were saying that kind of career t- like I'm in reflection of an artist's career because a lot of the people will be tuning into the Funny Women podcast will be in some way connected to the industry mm. and at various different points as well. I think certainly there can be or you can put a pressure on yourself can't you to that you should have achieved more at this point but I kind of want to pick up on the idea that your career has stages.
2: Yeah absolutely yeah there's well, I think I had, um, you know, I wouldn't deny that I, I, I thought that I was going to go in in a particular way, and that I would sort of, I, you know, I did do Tina on telly, and that I thought that would be what would happen, and that would open loads of doors. And then I, I've, I, I slowly realised that actually, that's that's that would never suit me anyway, because even when I was doing mainly that that one character i was still doing weird performance art shows and i was doing shows with ducky where i was dressed as a 19th century restoration man you know on an under in an underpass and doing the splits and all this kind of stuff do you know what i mean i was not i was not just like i want to be a tv comedian and i want to you know have mainstream success so yeah i think um i think yeah like i say you've got to follow your instincts um so of course there are different phases but there's also you change. And that's the big thing. You know, I've changed a lot of, over the years. And so therefore what I what I want has has changed. What I want to do has changed. What I want to do with an audience has changed. And I think what hasn't changed is that I've always been interested in entertainment, like I say, and just being, make, you know, making people laugh and just having a good time and literally come away going, yeah, I feel you know, incrementally better than I did three hours ago. That that just seems like the best thing you should aim for. <laughs> yeah.
1: I can tell you now that I had a lot of fun in the conga line, which anyway. I've like, done a few more times and since. What,
2: sheer sheer exhilaration, that's what it's about, you know, all singing um, a country music song together uh, and doing a line dance or doing a conga line or the Okie these are very simple things. These are not the most complex things I've ever created, but, but one of my favorite books that I talk about all the time is um, Dancing in the Streets, a, a collective, um, a history of communal joy. Um, and it's this amazing book about, about how human beings want collective joy. And I think that's why people are buying a ticket to things. They might not, um, be able to put it quite in that in that way and then might think they want you know to sit and, and hear something like you know my girlfriend does this my boyfriend's useless to gags but actually I think they want communal joy and I'm trying to just provide them a way of having communal joy.
1: So I wanted to ask you um before we before we wrap up um I can remember walking around the Edinburgh Festival. I can remember the Tina posters, the sold out signs, so a lot of the people, the lot of the listeners will have aspirations of going to the Edinburgh Festival. Now you're somebody that's had a huge amount of se- success there. Kind of, what advice could you give them?
2: Okay, I'll be really honest. I probably wouldn't have even been honest about this even a year or so ago. I never, I never ha- liked Edinburgh. I never enjoyed myself, <laughs> and it came to a head in wow ages now, 2008, and we did a, sh- a show experiential show called office party which is the big hit of the festival that year
1: i went to that did
2: you there you go um oh um and it was great i made it with Ursula martinez my my good friend and it was great to make that show and then i was also doing a tina c show which was as you said sold out so i was doing these two big show shows for the whole thing and i still didn't like it i felt insecure i felt um, like everyone else was doing better than me I was tired all the time I was worried about losing my voice you know so I'm that is not the reality of most people who are Edinburgh go to Edinburgh lots of people love it for me I never really did but I was very lucky there and and I could and, and I could connect to lots of audiences and that's what it was about for me um, and I don't know why I couldn't enjoy it more really but um. Yeah, but now I can might as well be honest. It's not everything, you know. If if you if you think that that it's gonna be everything, then 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 just put a show on anywhere. Put a show on locally. That's what I'm really big on at the moment, you know. Don't focus everything on that. It's like going to a um it's like being in photocopiers and going to a photocopier convention in Croydon and all staying in the same hotel and all of your peers are uh, in the world of photocopying are all on the same corridor as you and they're all telling you that they're doing better than you and you just go mad and just want to, you know, just you go to sleep in a room surrounded by toner and you're just like, I'm I'm not enjoying myself. And it's like doing that for nearly four weeks.
1: It's that feeling when you look around in the loft bar and then you realise you've been drinking with these people Every year in August for ten years. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, it's true. And you go. Yes, I've been. I've been in Edinburgh in the rain every August of my adult life. And there are lots of nice places to be. I think I was also, you know, doing t- t- Tina was very. It's very hard physically. You know, you've got to look great, and yeah. um, you know all about that. You've got to keep yourself in a certain physical kind of um, state. Um, and, and, and singing, I'm, I'm, you know, I love singing, but it really took a lot out of me. I don't have a naturally strong voice. I'm not trained. And so, um, so I was always on the cusp of losing my voice. And I now realize that being nervous and being stressed and being tense was why I was losing my voice. So I would be in that loft bar going, I can't speak. I can't speak, you know, (laughs) I'm losing my voice and then spending all day like literally not speaking so that I could do two shows in the evening and it's 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 tense and it's miserable making so you know I'm not down and go follow your dreams follow your instincts but there's other things to do put a show on in your local village hall become a celebrity on you, you know in, in, in your borough
1: <laughs> I um last year I did Edinburgh and uh, I did 92 shows um, some of those were guest appearances; they weren't just shows. But I was doing two full, full two full shows, and then uh, a, a limited run of another one. And when people think, "Oh, you're going up to Edinburgh just for a week of part like four weeks of partying," I said, like, "I'm going to tell you what my schedule is. I wake up. I'm precious about my sleep. There are no late night parties. I'm steam my voice in the morning. I steam my voice when I come home. Every single moment I'm not on stage, I'm having scheduled naps."
2: Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there was one year when the, when Ida was new, and I did Ida in the afternoon. I think at like two o'clock, and I did Tina very in in a really big venue at like eleven o'clock. <laughs> like, why was that a good idea? So I'm doing two, you know, full on different character shows. Yeah. So that basically meant I was on like you like you say a sort of like twelve hour thing of like sleep a little bit, wake up, be stressed, do a show. Go back to bed, sleep a little bit, wake up, be stressed, do a show. On on like the whole the whole time. Yeah. I remember going to the jo- doctor towards the end of it, and he was like, How old are you? <laughs> and I knew what he meant. <laughs> because he knew how old I was, but I didn't look like that. So um, yeah, look, let's-this is not a moan fest, but look, I'm it's exciting and it's great to get the chance to be in front of audiences, and that's why you go. It's all about by having audiences that want to take a risk and want to, you know, want you to help them find that communal joy. So, you know, that's what that's why Edinburgh is really, really great. But we we will need to find new ways of doing that.
1: You, I'm I'm the same. I mean, I love Edinburgh. I love the experience. I love I love to moan about being tired, um, and certainly, you know, having to be glamorous every day for four weeks. That's that brings its own joys. Um, <laughs> But the idea about being local—do you think that's where we're at now? Do you think that's the future?
2: Well, right now, and nobody's got any idea what's what, what's going to happen. But um, yeah, I mean, I think if I think that is going that is going to have to change. It's going to have to change for the for the climate, if not if nothing else. And yeah, I think start a comedy club where you where you live. Start a cabaret club. Start a you know. Start doing shows, you know. I think that's. I don't think that's naive to say. I think it's really, really honest response, you know. And, um, yeah, I've got I've got a lot about from doing things in my local in my local community. And in the second lockdown, I've um, uh, I've not been into central London at all. You know, I've been in central London for ages, and I don't live that far away. We're in the first one. I was still sort of connected to going into town. You know, going into London. Now I'm. You know, it's only fifteen minutes on the on the on the train. Mm. I don't. I just like I'm in my local community.
1: So a lot of people will have a, a certain assumption that it's all happening in London. London's where it's need to be. But essentially, what we're saying is actually it can be wherever you are.
2: I think it. Ha- I think it will be that absolutely. I think it has to be that, and I think. It's got to be logical that the, the old days that, you know, we've been talking about that a lot of people listening know about, which is like you're in a car driving all the way across the country or get, being on trains all the time, getting to little places and doing gigs. Well, you know, why not have people for, the, for, who live within the 10-mile t- radius and and make stars of them, you know, and become big in, in your local community and then feel proud? Um, and, and also that I think the the criteria, I alluded to it earlier, if you're a successful artist, people go, you're a successful artist, you should go and do that in America, and, and then they and go, oh, we're a successful venue, let's invite someone from Australia, well, okay, but you're a venue in the northeast of England, why are you inviting an artist from Malaysia to come and, and perform, you know, that's great, but right now, it's probably not what we need, and also, we should, we need to stop, um, having a definition of success of like let's have you know 100,000 people driving in their cars all across the country to go to somewhere and that's what becomes a success and that environmentally is not a success and that's not sustainable so yeah let's have you know people turning out of their streets slamming their doors behind them and going to the local place and going wow we got 200 people from our from our village to go and see this thing that's success.
1: I'm going to build on that and I'm going to say, keep it in Kent. I live in Kent. There you
2: go, logo (laughs) logo already. Love it.
1: Uh, Chris, it's been such a joy to speak to you as always. Um, How can people find out more about you?
2: Um, So I have a website, ChristopherGreen.net, which, you know, I'm... I'm not that assiduous but my big projects are, are on there um and um there's going to be a lot of activity in the coming year um yeah in the coming year about my care home project which is called the home which we haven't talked about but it's um people can go on my website and read about that otherwise um twitter's probably the best way because i'm you know very disposable
1: i would like to talk about the care home project oh. um we can just keep going by the way <laughs> um <laughs> uh, there, that's already been in the press, hasn't it? The care home project.
2: Yes, I saw some articles about that. It Happened, yeah. Um, uh, in the the first stages, so it's 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 the most ambitious thing that I've done, and it's a sort of combination, really, of all the of a lot of the elements that that we've discussed, and um, and yeah, attitudes to dying, attitudes to ageing, and ultimately about vulnerability, um, and so for about. It was about three years in the research before, uh, so that's about four years ago. And then we did the first stagings of it at the end of last year. And uh, so the, it's a very simple offer, which is that you, the audience move into my fictional care home for 48 hours and they have everything provided for them, all of their care. Um, and it's like, the, it's the full on immersive experience. Um, and then other people can come be part of it in other ways so there's 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 other audiences that can participate um and then we um i was there in in january because it was it's being done in japan um connected to the cultural olympiad and um so obviously that's been delayed so we're going to roll it out uh in a different way with the with the japanese partners and and other people internationally and then we're going to do a care home tour in 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 this country uh in early spring uh, where we do a sort of a different version but but holding on to the, the the heart of the of the show um in care homes um in a socially distanced safe way as if they haven't suffered enough um so yes
1: what an incredibly exciting project
2: i'm really i am really really pleased with it and and it's it's a big it's a big collaboration. Lots of people, lots of performers, lots of um, people involved, and it's um, you know I think I mean hideously it, it, it's totally been proved right. You know this is this is the thing that we have ignored culturally. We've just thought, yeah, okay, the market, the capitalist market, can look after this, and it'll all be fine. Well, it isn't. We know it isn't. And it was clear that it wasn't going to be, you know, like it it just it just doesn't work the way it's funded and and the way that we don't want to think about it, um, until until it happens to us or it happens to our parents or our grandparents. And then it's like, wow, this system really doesn't work, does it? And then we're all kind of mm. shocked and upset. Instead of like going, Yeah, this is something we really value, let's let's um, let's properly value it. And yeah, I think it's the show is a lot is a logical result of of Ida, of a lot of the work I've done over the years, you know, and it's, it's about being vulnerable and we're all vulnerable at different times of our lives.
1: And where can people find out about the project if they want to get involved or come and watch it?
2: Yeah. So there's going to be lots online basically from next year. So the first thing would be to go to my website and have a look um, at at, at what's there now. And then we're, um, we're going to be rolling out loads of content and then there's going to be sort of interactive performance not live streamed or any of that caper, but um, but sort of bespoke live performance um, on um, online on Zoom, etc. Um, over over twenty twenty one, um, just to keep so that more people get involved and more people sort of th- so through this kind of theatrical device are able to kind of play with it and play with what they want and find a way of discussing it. Really,
1: well, I will be. First in line for a
2: ticket. Very good.
1: Yeah. Love that. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. Pleasure. It's been an absolute joy. He's been lounging in my Bellis boudoir. Yes, it's our head honcho show from Funny Women, Lynn Parker. I wanted to pick up on talking about the Edinburgh Festival because obviously I've been going to Edinburgh on and off for about 20 years. But I think there can be a feeling, particularly with comedians, that Edinburgh is the be-all and end-all of your career. Now, we're facing the potential that it's going to be different from now on. So what kind of advice would you give to comedians
3: who are looking to maybe debut their first hour? Well, that's a very loaded question because I think you're right. It will be very different. And in the past, there was a lot of disputes about what your debut hour actually is because some people were going, doing a show, not promoting it, then being sent to Edinburgh a couple of years later by their management or whatever and calling it their debut show when actually they'd already done their debut show in a upstairs of a pub or not maybe at a proper venue. So I think the cards have been thrown in the air now. And um, one of the interesting things about having a year off, none of us had to suffer FOMO. We've all had a break and it's given us some clarity about what what we need to get out of doing what is really a great big trade fair, the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, and as as Chris and you rightly discussed you know for some people they absolutely love it and others find it really hard and really pressured and I think the people who succeed do what you do they manage their time properly they they go and have rests they look after themselves um, but a lot of people go hell for leather they go to Edinburgh and they cane it and then they just burn themselves out and, and and it puts them off. So my best advice, if we have an Edinburgh, anything like the Edinburgh's of the past, would be to go, your first fringe, go and watch and do open spots and just feel it, you know, go and, go and do your research, go and check out all the venues, look at all the opportunities. You don't have to go hell for leather and have your own show. You can go, you can do, there's always open spots, the one thing that has been really good is the free fringe and the the you know the all the free opportunities there are people doing shows so you can just kind of get some experience in. By the time you've done that, when you're ready to do your debut show, and obviously define that to yourself. And if you're also signed with management, they'll have a different view of it. All all of all of which is valid, but you know, your debut show probably isn't it's probably based on the experience of doing a couple of other things beforehand so I I suppose I do have a bit of an issue with the debut thing (laughs) I've answered my own question there (laughs) but you know does that make sense it
1: does because obviously I've been to Edinburgh for years now with my cabaret shows which are comedy but they're not stand-up comedy in that Mm. if we look turn to the fringe brochure I'm not in that section so my chain of thought was But I've been being funny for years. So, you know, do I fast track? But actually, when I'm really honest to myself, I want to take my time so that when I am in that pool with everybody else, I can stand shoulder to shoulder and know that this isn't a rush job or, you know, having been doing like the 10-minute sections I have, I can see quite what a
3: craft it is. And there are lots of other festivals you can try out for as well. There's the Brighton Fringe. There's the Leicester Comedy Festival, there's the Greater Manchester Festival, and then there's all sorts of, uh, there's a Faversham Festival. There are all sorts of amazing, smaller fringe festivals all over the country. Hopefully, they'll come back, and maybe they'll they'll have more of a chance to come back, because they'll be going back to what Chris was saying about staying local. Yeah, I'd like to see better support for those events in, in, in towns and cities, because you know, we don't all need to be spending thousands of pounds, you know, bankrupting ourselves to go to Edinburgh every year. I mean, for someone with your experience and knowledge, yeah, it's the right thing to do. But I think Chris nailed it when he said that. It's, you know, about keeping it local. I'm all for that. It's what we're saying, we're going to have a Maidstone comedy festival. Absolutely. Or the Medway. Exactly. Medway Fringe. We're with, it's in discussion.
0: Ooh. You've been listening to Funny Women Behind the Scenes with Ivy Page. If you like us, please subscribe, review and share.